1: Today is Friday, December 18th. Boy, do we have a treat for all of you listeners today. We are joined by the GOAT, the queen of tennis blogging, one of my favorite writers, biggest influences certainly in my young tennis journalism career, the great Colette Lewis joins us on the show today to talk a little 2020 Orange Bowl, to talk about the ways COVID-19 has disrupted the junior calendar and oh so much more. This is a podcast I have been looking forward to probably since we started podcasting here at Crack Rackets back in 2017 and I promise it lives up to the hype folks well worth the wait of course quickly before we get to that interview just want to remind all of you listeners the reason we are able to do this day in day out because of the support we get from all of you because of the amazing support we get from our Patreon family and of course because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. go to MidwestSports.com use that promo code CR15 go to AeroBar.com use that promo code Cracked30 but with that in mind No other intro, no other filler. Let's get right to it. Here is my conversation with the one and only Colette Lewis. Joining us on the podcast today is a guest I could not be more excited to bring to you listeners. And of course, in that spirit, I have a little bit of a poem to introduce her. Now, listeners of our show will know that when I try to only say things, I truly mean. So everyone should trust when I tell you. That today's guest is the tennis blogging queen. It doesn't matter if it's k the Orange Bowl, or that random ITF grade 4. She's got the entire junior world covered. Plus college tennis, the future circuit, and oh, so much more. In fact, reading her coverage growing up is ultimately what inspired me to do this, and that is why it is such an honor to be joined today by the great Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome to the show. It is such a pleasure to finally have you. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be here.
1: Oh, it is. It will always be my pleasure, and I say that sincerely. You know, for me, TennisRecruiting.net, dot net. As a tennis nerd growing up, as someone who's always stuttering, "Ooh, am I a two star? Can I maybe get to three star status? What's going on?" You always see in the center of that homepage, "Zoo Tennis." You go check out the blog. And so I was probably. I'll guess 12 years old the first time I did this. So yeah, that would be 2007. I clicked on a link and it was probably Dennis Kudlow wins another grade one and Evan King lost to him in the final. Or maybe it was the race Sarmiento highlights. I've watched them all on YouTube. But seriously, as someone growing up without your coverage of the juniors, without your coverage of just the future circuit, all of it, I would have been completely unaware of things going on beyond Wimbledon. So sincerely, thank you so much for all of you. do for the sport but from here in no more flattery that's the end of the flattery okay. I promise.
2: All right. I'm on for
1: that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but So in that spirit it's obviously great to have you and I know uh, in, with that in mind uh, you know something that you always enjoy doing is traveling to these events covering them in person and I think that's where I want to start today's conversation because we just had an Orange Bowl an Orange Bowl that you did not get to go cover and I'm curious when was the last time you weren't in person at the Orange Bowl and what was that experience like for you?
2: Uh, yeah, a sore subject. Um, I, I've been at every orange bowl since I started doing this, which uh, goes, I actually covered the 2004 one, but that was before I had the blog. So, uh, I was just kind of doing that on my own. And, um, so everyone since then so that's a long time and um yeah that the fact that they they required tests was not really a problem i didn't think i mean i thought it was a good plan to do that obviously um it didn't work out for me since i got a false positive but um yeah that that was disappointing you can only do so much um Uh, watching live scoring I mean without even any live streaming it was fairly complicated but the USTA helped me out a lot by getting me players to talk to and and so um with the live scoring i felt like i i had some idea of what was going on in the tournament so um you know i will say that it was a half an orange bowl at least and, and leave
1: it at that. <laughs> yeah more of a what, what a tangerine bowl than an orange bowl It's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah the <laughs> mini version of the event no i remember i think it was the 2014 kalamazoo i went to the round of 16 day and you know after a match i look into the press box or you know the big whatever that building is called and I see you're interviewing a player. And I was like, God, like, how do I get in that room? And so, yes, I remember just or the fact that the USTA still ensuring these players talk to you. It was so great. And obviously, uh, this Orange Bowl did end up going on. After a year, we saw so many events canceled due to this pandemic. And I feel like more than any other branch of tennis, you know, the, the pros, there's enough money. They can play a certain amount of events, challengers, futures events, able to carry on. College tennis, the season cut off but at least there's a plan for them moving forward. I feel like of all of the tennis spheres, it's the junior world that's been most impacted by this pandemic. Do you think that's fair?
2: Yes, I definitely do, especially um, players that only play USTA events um, here in um, our country. Uh, We didn't have a lot of ITF events in this country either, but the USTA schedule was just devastated. And I know individual sectional tournaments got played, uh, some of them this summer, this fall but um it was it was really bad not to have any national events um all year um you know that that was just a huge blow and it's not as if unlike college you could just give another year of eligibility to anybody you can't say oh uh you were supposed to play the 16s and uh, <laughs> you know you can still play them even though you're 17 because you didn't get a chance this year that's not going to happen so yeah I agree it's I mean it's understandable and I'm way used to um, all junior tennis being down on the bottom of the totem pole but um, it's really unfortunate
1: yeah, you think about the—it's really the class of 2002, right? All of those people who turned 18 this year, and for some players that means— and, you know, the ones who go on to crazy pro success, they probably already won their junior slams. The guy I'm thinking of is Lorenzo Musetti or, you know, Coco Gauff. She's already done what she needs to do on the junior circuit. She's going to be fine. But, yeah, there's absolutely a, a class of players, whether it's the guys who would have gotten— ex- or girls who would have gotten exposure by playing these ITF events, uh, either to potential sponsors, or potential college coaches, right? I feel like that entire uh, ecosystem of tennis yeah. has been influenced. And it's it's pretty di- – I, I, have you seen noticeable differences, noticeable effects? I feel like the the one thing maybe filling the gap in at least the U.S. has been the emergence of UTR events. But I feel like other than that, it's been really hard for these players to get out on court and show what they can do.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. It's been very difficult. And, and if you would – we're not real comfortable traveling to the French open um this fall, which would have been entirely, especially since you had no. Real um, chance to do a lot of um, warm-up events or anything like that. That you know, you your whole year is just. Uh, we lost the Easter Ball, a Grade B one. We lost, um, you know, Lexington, uh, Nicholsville, the Grade B one Pan American, and so those were two huge opportunities. Not just for the 2002s, but now for the the 2003s that that did not get an opportunity to earn those points that would help them get into the slams. And for so many juniors that that's the goal of their junior careers to play a junior slam. So um, to have that taken away, it's, its you know, obviously it's tennis, it's, it's not the end of the world, but it um, it is sad for them.
1: I'm gonna say it was 2010 ITF Pan American Alex Damajan won in Tulsa. I remember you posting that video on YouTube. I remember watching it, and then I remember thinking because a little bit after, so I guess it would have been maybe 2011 uh, because he won the ITA All-American, I think, also at Tulsa a little bit later. And I remember thinking that's gonna I was like that's a sure thing I'm like I am so confident Alex Domijan is going to be in the top 100 and yeah it's like it's little events like that or when Noah Rubin did he beat Mitchell Kruger in the final no that was the I, Or maybe I don't remember who he beat I remember he used the golden head liquid metal racket and I remember seeing that <laughs> YouTube video and being like should I be using that racket that's a pretty sick look for Noah Rubin and just like to not have that exposure it's it's a huge deal. It makes all the difference in the world. And just, you know, when you are a junior, you want to be playing matches, right? That's what all of these kids are looking to be
2: doing. Right, right. But I, to get back to what you initially said, I do agree that UTR has been a lifesaver um, in this situation, along with the ITA um, Having all of their events, um, I the only live tennis I really covered this year was uh, you know just the finals of an ITA summer circuit um, just up in Grand Rapids. But just to, to see uh, kids have an opportunity to play again was just you know um, and it was very gratifying. And without that, without those things, the UTRs, what's coming from UTR. Uh, Boy, we'd be in a very bleak place.
1: Yeah, I very much agree with you. We had an ITA event. We hosted the Crack Records Invitational in Indy, and we had the chance. You know, again, you're trying to maintain social distance, right? You're trying to make sure everyone's responsible, everyone's wearing masks at the same time. And you've been going to these events. I've been to these events. There's something about a tournament. The tennis community, that's when we're in our natural element. Half of these kids spend so much of their young adult lives, you know, going to these events, socializing with their fellow players. And that's part of the routine. And you could almost see. I mean, at the same time, you know, people were being responsible, but just the excitement on everyone's face to be back at an event. Normally, you know, if you're at a tournament, people are going to be complaining, oh, why is this match taking so long? What's going on? And there was none of that. Like, people were like, oh, 15 minutes? That's fine. Take an extra 30. It's just nice to be outside. And yeah, I'm sure all of these players are definitely missing that, of course. Thankfully, they were able to have the Orange Bowl here at the end of the year, and I know the Orange Bowl was touch-and-go for a while there, so it's a huge credit to them that they were ultimately able to pull off the event and I'm curious do you think heading into 2021 now that there's been nine months for these tournaments to plan and scheme a little bit do you think we should expect to see the junior schedule get somewhat back to normal or do you think it's really a toss-up heading into 2021?
2: Uh, Probably a toss-up Um, you know I I'm not sure that the Australian Open is gonna come off, not the pros that probably will, but the juniors was put on hold or, or something. And and to take that off the schedule, I don't know. But the ITF did add a grade A in South America. So uh, people who, who are willing to travel um, and you know have qualified will get a couple of chances that were taken away this year. As far as USTA events, um, boy, I with uh, Indian Wells off, what does that mean for the Easter Bowl, for for the Carson Grade One? Um, We missed those last year, and to miss those again would be another huge blow, especially for the Southern California kids, a lot of whom wouldn't go to the Orange Bowl. I mean, just because of the, the travel that was involved in that, but would have a better chance in uh, the Southern California tournament. So yeah, I, I'm not optimistic, I, I have to say, but I, I totally hope I'm wrong. It's just that, except for the Orange Bowl, I, I just feel I've been getting my hopes up for every tournament now for about uh, you know six months and they're just not happening.
1: Yeah, uh, I think as listeners of this podcast will know, very rarely are you wrong, and that that might be a problem for them. Uh, so you know, if, hopefully, hope I'm uh, yeah. On this instance, we can all hope you—it's a rare blemish from you—and that the schedule gets back to normal. But of course, again, we did have this orange bowl down the home stretch, and I want to start with our girls' 18s champion, Ashlyn Krueger, because the 16-year-old American, I believe, was the 16s champion last year. She's the first player to do this uh, since Bianca. Andrew Rescue in 2014 and 2015. I've been following the tweets closely, so of course I'm citing my source here. My source is you, um, and uh, you know you talk about that sort of accomplishment and put it in perspective. You know at 16 years old to some tennis fans you might think to yourself well Coco Golf, 16 years old and she's top 50 in the world and that's obviously true and very very special but what Ashlyn Kruger has done in her junior career I mean she's checking off all of the boxes right it's it's reminiscent of Almost, you know, like I, what I always think of is the way CeCe Bellis at 16 years old. She was the best junior in the world and it wasn't particularly close. And it's just, I, I feel like Ashlyn Kruger has started to assert herself in that category as well, at least in the events we've seen.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, the fact that she did that with the top two girls in the ITF in the world and beating one of them to to win the championship. I mean, she she didn't kind of fluke out in this tournament um she beat some really good players and i don't think um anyone would have predicted that especially because she until that uh, october november swing with the grade fours she she really hadn't played at all all summer so it, it was very difficult to see Um, that she could have improved as much as you need to, to get from the 16th champion to the 18th champion um, in the space of a year like this. But uh, she, she has a huge game and uh, she is six feet one. So she's going to have to, you know, always work on her movement as part of it. But um, Dave Licker's a coach, you know, he's an outstanding coach. He will teach her a complete game. She will be able to close at the net. She will have a good serve. And so I think now it's just a a question of how much she believes that she can do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And you talk about that size, and I think uh, you know a, a lot of the juniors we have seen come through the American pipelines of late who have had success. People like Sophia Kennan, who was obviously winning everything as well, and I mentioned CC already, even Coco. Uh, they didn't have that sort of size, and again, you you see the the juniors who come through over the years. You've seen the way the game has shifted. How important do you think size will be moving forward? Because I think on the men's side, in particular, you're almost going to have to be six foot. To compete on the women's side, it's tough because honestly, outside of you know, I guess Hallop and maybe Ashley Barty, you are seeing this you know, your top 10 player 5'9, 5'10, 5'11. That height continues to get higher and higher. Uh,
2: two words Diego Schwartzman. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, it's true. I mean, no, you're you're definitely right, but yeah
1: yeah you know what
2: as I, know, <laughs> I know I understand what you're saying that he's a, he's the outlier and that that sort of thing but no I'm not I'm not big on on that being important um I I don't think it will change the way tennis is played I mm-hmm. I think we had Maria Sharapova and then we, then we have Ashley Barty and and so it just you know it's a up and down roller coaster thing. I don't think it hurts. And of course, I, I I would love to see a woman have a serve that was as important to her game as some of the uh, service to some of the men's game. Mm-hmm. And I think height is obviously pretty important for that. Mm-hmm. But um, there are always downsides to it to being that tall. And um, I, I, I just think that you have to find the balance in the game that works for you and, and be comfortable with what you can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's never one size fit all with any player but, uh, you know, you've seen so many players come through the junior ranks and for me, the the guy I will perennially hope hold out hope for, a guy I fell in love with with his junior results, because again, when I started reading he was probably a 12-year-old who was just as good then as he is now and that's not to diss him now, that's to say how good he was at 12 years old. The guy won everything for years on end, and that's Stefan Kozlov, and I will continue to believe till my dying day that there's a world where Stefan Kozlov becomes one of the top players in the world, because just to see what he was doing at such a young age, how advanced his game was, I just was like, I I don't know how this kid fails, he could just do so many different things, and I don't think you know, what is the benchmark of success or failure? That really comes down to who you are, I suppose, as an individual. But that he didn't get to the top 100, that a player like Whitney Osigwe, who I thought was blitzing through the juniors, hasn't made a big break yet. She's top 200, and she's been very, very good. But I I thought the jump was going to come even quicker. And just sometimes it doesn't for some of these players. And I, I don't know. I'm trying to sift out what are the characteristics to look for. Are there any you turn to immediately?
2: no there aren't and that's the one thing i think i've learned over the last i I mean as my twitter um you know bio says it's it's just the more i know the the less i (laughs) less i know the more i learn the less i know it's just i used to think when i first started this that i would i would have some idea and and then every time i thought for every michelle larcher de brito and (laughs) Bernard Tomich, who I thought were going to be absolutely the next, you know, Federer, the, you know, the next Justine Annen and, you know, whatever. And, and that doesn't happen. And you just have to realize that every person who makes it is a complete outlier. And there is no, um, there's no cookie cutter. There's no way to tell. If there were, um, being an agent would be the (laughs) <laughs> would be easy, <laughs> and it wouldn't pay as well as it does because um, you don't have to live with any mistakes. So I, I just think um, it, it, it's just really, really hard. And I'm always very suspicious of, of people who, in hindsight, say, "Oh, I knew so and so was going to be great." No, you didn't. <laughs> you might have thought that you saw some things, and but you could have seen those same things in someone else. Like Stefan, who who has a, a wonderfully creative game, who was able to do so many different things, and there was there, you know, and then people say, well, yeah, but he didn't have the weapons. Well, then you have you see kids with huge weapons that never do anything, yeah. <laughs> and it, to me, it's really really frustrating to to get people to who always confirm. Um, in hindsight, you know, that so-and-so was going to be great. I, that's one of my pet peeves, which I guess I guess you, you just heard. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: first of all, it's translated to me as well, because, again, I process through reading. I, the more I've learned from you, the less I've known as well, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, no, it's you know, <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I was kidding. But, um, you know, it, it's funny. You, you, again, I'm going to stick with Kozlov. The year he lost to Sam Shropshire in Kalamazoo, the year Shropshire upset him, this is how closely That's I followed right. the Kozlov career because I, yeah, I was well, locked I've in. i never
2: did that now. Yeah, you know?
1: and, and I was there the in his first round match or second round match, whatever. I don't remember if he got a bye or not. He played Tyler Liu, and Tyler Liu went to Yale. I think played number one singles for Yale. Tyler Liu was exceptional. I think he was on those university high school teams that won national championships or whatever. And they played – an hour, 20 minutes of just 20 ball rallies. Every shot, they're tracking down. Both of these guys are exceptional. And Kozlov won 1-1. One and, one. and I was like, how do you win this match 1-1? One one? Like, this is the best... That was the best 1-1 one in one I've ever seen. And it's just... Yeah. And so that's why my theory nowadays, as opposed to claiming I thought he was or she was going to be good. I just think everyone's going to be great. And then I'm like, see, I said I said they were going to be great. I said they were going to be great. Yeah, I said they were going to be great. I wasn't right, but I was right about that one. Uh, and so, you know, if you call everyone great, there's no losing. Uh-
2: and yeah. And um, a prominent college coach who I won't name because he didn't give me permission to pass on this conversation said to I said, um, you know, what do you think of so-and-so's game and do you think he'll he'll be good he said you always say no because <laughs> you're going to be right 99 percent of the time if you say somebody's not going to make top 100 you're going to be right. They're not <laughs> going to. And then that one time you're wrong, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, no. The are with the other people. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's fair. But, you know, to, to get back to the Orange bullet, when you look at Ashlyn Kruger, not to put top 100 goals on her, but mm-hmm. heading into uh, 2021, and you wrote about this in your summary for TennisRecruiting.net, which, of course, I highly recommend everyone go read. Uh, or maybe it was on Zoo Tennis. Read them both. Uh, but she is now... Now in perfect position for the junior calendar come 2021 correct her ranking she right. should be in a place where she can qualify and play whatever
2: yeah she should be um because everybody drops off they're not giving an, another year so everybody who's 18 is going to drop out that's i don't know she's in the 70s now and and that's 20 some people and and then of course not everybody plays every every slam though that that probably will change for this year if we have some slams I don't know they might be more popular because we missed two last year I'm not sure but yeah she's in a great position which which is one of the reasons I'm sure that the USTA was so hopeful that they would be able to pull that tournament off just because to just to get even one person you know to have that and there was there were some other really good results as well from um from especially the girls.
1: Mm-hmm. And it feels like it always is the American women who have been coming through late, particularly oh, these past twelve years. So so good.
2: I it's been amazing to me because you just don't expect it to go on and on. I mean, there has to be dips. Uh-huh. Um, you would think, but it hasn't happened, and it, it's just you know, maybe, I don't know who exactly, you know, really started that whole thing. I, I'm thinking maybe Melanie O'Dan was kind of like the the first junior that sort of, you know, broke through and then all of a sudden now everybody, I mean, you know, what Sloan has done and, and um, Madison and, and those, but... It's just been, you know, year after year, it's so very unusual not to have a, a, a top girl um, competing at the at the slams for, for slam titles. And of course that's translated, which isn't always true. I mean, um, I think probably one of my major disappointments, and it's too early to be really disappointed, but, um, you know, the two, 2015 um, American Boys were... Uh, you know, the tournament we had here was uh, one of the best ones we've ever had since 87 in agassi sampras Courier chang Um, It was a great, great... I mean, they won three out of the four slams that year, uh, junior slams, and I mean, they've all, you know, had good careers. Um, They're not disappointing in the fact they didn't make top 100 or something, but, um, yeah, not to have them being second week of slams yet um I guess maybe Francis has but you know it it hasn't they they haven't really made big jumps like uh and Zarev, Zarev and and those kind of guys so so that's been a little bit um disappointing and the girls have been you know a little bit the opposite whereas they've just been moving right right on through the ranks
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with all due respect to Arthur, is it Fees? Is it Phils? I don't want to butcher the pronunciation.
2: Uh, Fees, I think. Yeah, I think.
1: with all due respect to his title which was phenomenal and there were a lot of great men's results as well I believe it was an American who won the boys 16's uh, you brought a to- up a topic that is near and dear to my heart and I once wrote about this topic and I think you can still find it in the archives of our website that the the 2015 final between you know the 14 final between Ruben and Altamirano was, was fun it was very fun but the 2015 final between Stefan Kozlov and Francis Tiafo, a five set affair it was like a four hour battle your highlights for it still on YouTube of course is that the best match in Kalamazoo his final history at least because it just it felt like... The crescendo. It felt like the climax of, as you mentioned, four years of you know, Francis Tiafo makes the final of the boys' sick or whatever the, the Carson event, uh, you know, in the boys' fourteens, and then he and Stefan play this unbelievable Orange Bowl final. Tiafo becomes the youngest Orange Bowl champion there, and you know, they you know, Noah Rub or it goes Kozlov makes the Australian Open final, loses to Zverev, and then he and Ruben play in the Wimbledon final, Ruben wins it, Ruben wins Kalamazoo. Then you have in twenty 2015- fifteen. 15, Tommy Paul, France, uh, Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, all winning junior slams. That 2015 Kalamazoo final, you had all eight of those guys in the draw as well. For me, that that's my favorite Kalamazoo ever. I I, I didn't get to see Sampras, you know, Agassi, Chang, whatever. I was there in spirit, but um, I, 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 sorry, that was a monologue. I asked you a question, answered the question. Now I'm asking you the question again. That 2015 match, that was something.
2: It was. It, it was the best one I've ever seen. Um, and and I go back um, way <laughs> before the um, San Francisco that one. There were some other ones that were equally as dramatic, but, um, you know, the recency bias and, and the fact that, uh, you know, that they had had so many battles that it was just, you know, the rivalry part of it, the the five sets the coming from two sets down which is you know does not happen especially well obviously in juniors it doesn't happen because they don't play it but even in in kalamazoo uh, 18s finals where they've been playing that for a long long time they that doesn't happen so yeah it it was right up there and the quality play was very good the crowd was huge it was just it was Yeah, it was the best.
1: (laughs) It was the Super Bowl of American Junior Tennis. It was, in that moment, it was everything you wanted it to be. And it was a packed house, right? I'm pretty sure Kalamazoo was was filled to the brim.
2: It was, it was. I think people probably, after... Uh, maybe after the second set um, some people laughed just because it didn't look very good but they're those people that that leave you know a baseball game and and somebody (laughs) has a you know five run comeback in the bottom of the ninth and stuff like that so yeah they definitely regret it when they did leave but yeah for the start of that match in the first two sets because everybody knew those players from from years before and and Kalamazoo does have a lot of fans that follow it from year to year. So um, the more that they know you and are comfortable with you and and all that, that, then, you know, the more you're going to get the the people in the stands.
1: Mm -hmm. And it did feel like that generation, with all due respect to guys who are outstanding players, had amazing college careers, guys, like Damajan or Mitchell Frank or Ray Sarmiento or Evan King and, you know, Dennis Kudla, that, that generation right before them. And I, I excluded Jack Sock, who was the back-to-back Kalamazoo champion. And I'm sure in terms of sure things, you see that serve that forehand, you're like, yep, that's a pro. Um, but <laughs> to have that 2015 moment and that three-year run of Ruben, Tiafo Michael Moe winning it did feel like I, I don't know to me that's what legitimized that generation of juniors. It's because not only were they having this i t f success but it's like, okay, now the spotlight is on you, you're at Kalamazoo, go compete right. for the wild card, and it seemed to bring out all of their best tennis yeah
2: yeah that that definitely was was one of the yeah, that was just a huge moment for the for the tournament uh for American junior tennis uh for everything it it was Fantastic. Yeah,
1: I would also say I watched it was round of 16 Tommy Paul versus Oliver Crawford. And I remember thinking like, these two are identical. It's literally, they're just like, we're going to do the same thing. And then Tommy's like, but I'm a little bit better. So I'm going to hit the winner at the end, if that's cool. And you know, <laughs> Oliver was like, yeah, that's fine. Four and five work for you. And Tommy was like, perfect. And so it was just like a very, very fun match. There was like a Mackie McDonald versus Joe DiGiulio round two when they were headed to UCLA. These are The the point is, go watch Kalamazoo. It always leads to some really, really fun tennis. And again, there are so many other things I want to ask you, so many other things I want to do. I'm going to use it, you know, I'm going to ask you just one more question and use it as an excuse to bring you back a second time if you would be so kind. But, uh, you know, my final question to you, um, and it, it's a it's a sentimental one, but I sincerely mean it when I say day in, day out. I know. Uh, let me go read what's happening at Zoo Tennis. There's some sort of summary. Let me go just figure out what is going on. And for so many of us, that has meant so much. Uh, where does that come from? The passion for you just day in, day out to continue to pursue tennis, to cover it the way you do, because it, it really is inspiring.
2: Uh, thank you. That's that's always nice to hear. I was told there would be no more flattery, but <laughs> <okay>. all right. <laughs> uh, I it it comes from a recognition when I was um, just a fan at Kalamazoo, uh, even, and then when I turned into being a volunteer at Kalamazoo, um, got put on the website committee, um, and so it was rather random that I ended up, you know, being on the forefront of websites and things like that with blogs i mean (laughs) i guess yeah it 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 was it was definitely that but i i just i was always so impressed by the kids um you know there were a few brats but um most of them are like so disciplined um very have a lot of self-control um you know dealt with adversity um you know just and then every way i could tell were pretty exemplary teenagers and you know i saw that year after year and i, I didn't think other people were seeing that i didn't think other people understood um what a ju- what it meant what it took to be a great junior mm-hmm. so i said you know they need to get a little bit more recognition maybe there's something i can do to to help that and um it's, and, of course, as you said, trying to figure out who's going to be the next great champion, well, as it turned out, I, that never made you know, that That turned out not to be interesting, but or very interesting, but not knowable. And so, you know, now it's, I'm still more in that, you know what? Ashlyn Kruger just did a great thing. Let's make sure that, that somebody knows about it and recognizes it. It's pretty simple, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, uh, you're right. I, I promise no more flattery. I will say you have succeeded. Uh, yeah, no, we absolutely just informing us on the process, what it looks like. Again, the the calculus of I go and play the, you know, the grade five here to set up the grade three two months later so that eventually I can play junior slams the next year. Just that pathway. I think you've shined a light on that. And I think so many tennis fans uh, enjoy that process. I know for young fans or just those who want to know who the next great champions are, we are always appreciate that. I'll sneak in one more. And this is probably the toughest question I'm going to ask maybe any guest ever. Uh, and it's a lot of pressure on this question. Yeah. So, you know, no pressure here, but better blueberries and cream, Wimbledon or Kalamazoo.
2: Oh, um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, uh, it's tough.
1: This is the setup. I set all of these 30 minutes up for this.
2: <laughs> you know, um I I did a lot studied a lot of economics in college actually and um you get more bang for your buck at Wimbledon to be quite honest with oh, wow. you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when I
1: when I go to Kalamazoo I I say, you know what, hold the blueberries. I'm good. I yeah, I agree because otherwise it's just it's too much blueberry. I'm like, I'm not trying to be healthy. I just really want the cream. <laughs>
2: Uh. um but i i i do appreciate it and i have to say that the that the excess uh, profit i guess on the blueberries and, and yogurt it, frozen yogurt um, does a whole lot to help fund the tournament and make it what it is so uh, i guess Wimbledon has a few other re- um you know resources that <laughs> that they can use but blueberries and, and frozen yogurt are are kind of um what's driving a lot of it initiatives at in Kalamazoo so I'll give them credit for that
1: yeah if they start to bring out the champagne we'll have problems we'll be like <laughs> now you've now you've gone too far you can't have that here but uh no of course well Colette thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today sincerely know that you are always welcome back on this show should you ever want to chat or you know you're just looking for 30 minutes of distraction happy to provide that as well
2: well, thanks, and uh, happy holidays to everybody, and uh, good luck in all your future podcasts. I hope sometime we'll get to um, actually meet in person in Ann Arbor or someplace, maybe 2021, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I am thankful you, know, you allowed Jonathan Kelly, I think, to write some guest blogs for you back in the day, and he is now a friend of mine, and the first time we met in person in Chicago at the Labor Cup, I think my first question was, so tell me about Colette. I was like, I just need to know a little bit more. I was like, I don't really care about you anymore, Jonathan. I I get you. Like, I'm past you. And so I absolutely agree. Hopefully we'll be able, whether it's Kalamazoo this summer or something sometime soon. Uh, But yes, Kled, thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again soon. all of you enjoyed my conversation with the great colette lewis a huge thank you to her for taking the time to chat i'm sure all of you listeners could hear my excitement throughout that conversation it was sincere folks i've been reading colette's work every day since i don't know 2006 2007 range i mean if you wanted to learn about junior tennis if you wanted to follow what was going on at the future's challenger level before there were streams before there was podcasting there was colette lewis and there was the zoo tennis blog and you know there's a reason everyone refers to her as the best in the business because she sincerely is and you know i said it in the intro poem i mean and you know she is a huge influence on why i feel comfortable doing this today and uh so a huge thank you is you know obviously fantastic to get the chance to chat with her hopefully we'll get the chance to do that again in the future and of course if you have missed any of her work tennisrecruiting.net uh, the tennis.com blog all of it read it consume it it will make you a better informed uh, more invested tennis fan and you will not regret uh, making that decision of course uh, you know we've also got a ton of other things going on right now in the tennis world it is off season mode and uh, you know it's not just here on the mini break podcast we've been talking yesterday. Yesterday, I talked about the ATP uh, uh, schedule, the release coming on Wednesday. We talked about what the early months of the season are going to look like. Still waiting for the WTA version, but of course, there's still also a couple of ITF events going on. We talked about that early in the week. I had David Gertler join me for a continuation of our Next Gen 2.0 series, breaking down those guys, 21 years and older, currently ascending up the ATP rankings. And of course, our deciding point, our cross-court Chronicles, all of of our new series, all on our YouTube channel. Uh, all of that content can be found on our website, crackdrackets.com. In case you have missed anything, you need those more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flieger and Daniel West, for the of an earning job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Arrow Bar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. Use that promo code CRACK30. Uh, but of course, again, that will do it for today's mini break podcast. As always, we'll ask, like, rate, subscribe review you. This show, the Great Shot Podcast, Crack Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. I forgot to mention this. If you missed our latest edition of our College Contender Series this week, we broke down the number five team in our preseason pulled the USC Trojans. We think the Trojans, despite being number five, they're a national title contender. And we talk about that on the pod. We talk with USC head coach Brett Macy as well. So be on the lookout for all of those on your podcast feeds, wherever you listen to your shows. But with that in mind, for the wonderful... Colette Lewis, our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex and You know what we say, that's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.